بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم in the name of Allah the most beneficent the most merciful I testify that there is no true God worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad is Allah's true slave and messenger may Allah sallallahu alayhi wa be upon the noble prophet his household and the companions and those who follow on their path until the day of resurrection this is the third class on the description of the Salah and uh, this is the night of the 24th of the third month of the Islamic calendar the night of the 3rd of May 2005 yesterday we spoke about the Takbir Takbiratul Ihram the Takbir concerning the commencement of the Salah entrance into the Salah and what goes with it with respect to the raising the utterance and with respect to the raising of the hands now we continue as to the Imam He, the Imam, makes those behind him hear his takbir in accordance with the situation, meaning if there is one close to him, one alongside him, then he makes the takbir low, with a low voice, and if there is also one uh, or two or three that are in the first row close to him he makes the takbir low that it can be heard and if they are a larger group then and greater number of rows then it's inevitable to raise the voice to make that heard and if his voice cannot reach them then he may uh, take someone behind him to convey the takbir on his behalf as the Prophet ﷺ did when Abu Bakr was praying to his right and the Prophet ﷺ was ill his voice could not reach those behind him and whenever the Prophet ﷺ made the takbir with a low voice Abu Bakr would convey that with a louder voice so that the people could hear and this constitutes the origin of this matter of conveyance of the takbir and if there is no need to have a conveyor meaning if the voice of the Imam could reach the people directly or by a, the use of certain means then it is not from the Sunnah to repeat the takbir by a conveyor behind him and this is in agreement this is in agreement amongst Muslims and the correct opinion of course is that it is incumbent upon the Imam to make a takbir 
heard by those who are behind him. Some said that this is recommendable, but the correct opinion, opinion is that it is an obligation. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ did so. And had it not been something obligatory, then there would have been no need for Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, to convey the takbir for those who were standing in Salah behind the Prophet ﷺ. Secondly, the Ma'mumin, those praying behind the Imam, cannot follow the Imam except by listening, by hearing the takbir. And whatever is needed to complete something which is obligatory, then itself is obligatory. And think if the Imam stands from the sujood without raising his voice with takbir, so when the people would stand really from their sujoods, they wouldn't until he begins reciting Surah Al-Fatiha loudly. And this is not in every Salah as we know. So the Imam would make his takbir loud like his recitation in the first two rak'ahs in other than the Dhuhr and Asr. And this comprises his recitation, for example, in Maghrib, in the first two rak'ah in Maghrib, first two rak'ah of Isha, and the two rak'ahs of Fajr, also comprises the Juma, the Eid, the prayers for rain, Al-Istisqa, Taraweeh prayers in Ramadan, the Witr, the Odd prayers, Wal-Kusuf, the Eclipse play- prayers. So, this comprises all that constituting legal congregational prayers. It is a sunnah in these cases to recite loudly, except the two salahs, asr and dhuhr. So, if someone says, why is it that the night prayers are loud and the prayers during the day are secret. The answer is that whispering during the night is less and during the night the heart and the tongue come together, bind or band together for the recitation. So the congregation of people behind the Imam and his recitation is more profound than having them separate. And that's why it is not legalized to recite 
in the day during the day except in Salat al-Jumu'ah or the Eids or the prayers or the prayers for rain and for the eclipse prayers because the people are in gathering, in congregation and there is no doubt that them keeping concentrating silently with the recitation following the recitation of the Imam it makes as if their recitation as one because the hearer is like the reciter and had the Imam been silent if he were to go silent then each would from the Ma'mumin from those led in the prayers will recite for himself and this in itself tells us that the the loud recitation during these congregational prayers in the day bands together the people concerning the recitation it is as if they are one contrary to the situation if they were to be done in secret this is what appeared to me the Shaykh Rahimahullah Shaykh Muhammad bin Salih Rahimahullah said this is what appeared to me concerning the hikmah, the wisdom behind recycling loudly in Salat al-Jumu'ah and the Eids and the like and also during the night prayer some since we are talking about the loud and secret recitations some say that the one praying alone should make himself hear the recitation meaning he speaks utters such that he can hear himself and that they go with the opinion that if he utters the letters clearly without making himself hear the utterances then his recitation is incorrect rather even his takbir takbirat al-ihram is incorrect so if he says Allahu Akbar but in a way that he does not make himself hear the utterance of the letters then his salah is not established because the takbir is incorrect in this case according to this opinion as long as there is no hindrance which does not allow him to hear his recitation like for example there are people around him talking etc loudly in this case he won't be able to make himself hear his utterances except that he makes himself really loud but concerning really all of this the shaykh rahimahullah said la dalil there is no evidence ala nafs there is no evidence to make oneself hear the utterance of the words 
and that the correct opinion is that whenever the person makes his pronunciations of the letters clear then his takbir is correct and his recitation is correct now ماذا بعد التكبير ورفع اليدين what goes next after takbir and raising the hands after the making the takbir and raising the hands the person in salah places the hands on the chest because the Prophet in the hadith reported by Abu Dawood and Ibn Khuzayma and his Sahih and Ahmed and others the hadith the Prophet said or the hadith of Wa'il bin Hujr he used to place them his hands on his chest and in one narration he used to place the right arm on the back of his left palm wrist and forearm try to do it now please while you're listening to place all of this is in the chest to place the right arm on the back of the left palm wrist and forearm and that he the Prophet commanded his companions to do likewise and sometimes he would grasp his left arm with his right even therefore there are two descriptions one is grasping and the other is placing so we repeat he, the Prophet ﷺ, used to place the right arm on the back of his left palm, wrist and forearm. And he commanded his companions to do likewise. And sometimes he would grasp his left arm with his right. So these are two descriptions. And sometimes he would do this, sometimes he would do that. Some people grasp the wrist. Our Shaykh Rahimahullah said, لَيْسَ لِهَذَا أَصْلِ there is no basis for this rather he would grasp his left arm with his right or he would place the right arm on the back of his left palm wrist and forearm meaning placement not grasping the wrist now there are some people (coughs) who put their right hand place it on the left below the navel below the navel and that that this is based on a hadith on the authority of Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu which narrates that it is from the sunnah to place the right hand on the left hand below the navel however this hadith is weak this hadith is weak and the correct narrations that stand 
and they are the strongest is that the hands be placed on the chest also it should be known that some of the scholars say that it is permissible for the hands to be placed above the maple and this is one narration from Imam Ahmed but the strongest one is that the hands be placed on the chest and as Shaykh al-Albani commented on these things by saying placing the hands on the chest is the matter which is affirmed by the sunnah and what is reported other than this is weak or have no foundation there are some people who would put their hands on their left waist on the hips during the salah and if you ask him why would you do this he would say because this is the side of the heart and this is a weak reasoning why? because it's in opposition to the sunnah and every reasoning which is in opposition to the sunnah is rejected secondly because the Prophet ﷺ, as in Al-Bukhari forbade to keep the hands on the hips during salah and in the hadith he used to forbid putting one's hand on the waist during the prayer and he put his hand on the waist to demonstrate and this is what is called the silb S-I-L-B which he used to forbid and therefore if you see someone doing this try to give him advice and to direct him to put his hands properly on the chest so after putting the hands on the chest what's next then the person looks at the place of his prostration and this covers the one who is praying alone or led by an imam and also the imam himself and this is the opinion of many many scholars and they based it on the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ, he used to look at the place of prostration his prostration during the prayers and so also they deduced the same thing from the interpretation of the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Mu'minun 23 verses 1-2 قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Successful indeed are the believers those who offer their salah with all solemnity solemnity and full submissiveness
and they said the ulama who deduced this matter from this verse they said this solemnity and full submissiveness this is attained by directing one's sight at the place of his sujood at the place of his sujood and the Prophet ﷺ used to incline his head during the prayer and fix his sight towards the ground and while he was in the Kaaba his sight did not leave the place of his prostration until he came out from it and he said وسلم, it is not fitting that there should be anything in the house meaning the Kaaba which disturbs the person praying in this hadith some of the ulama rahimahumullah said he may look in the direction of his face unless he was sitting unless he is sitting in the prayers then in this case he looks towards his hand whereby he moves his finger pointing in the tashahud some of the ulama even went into some details distinguishing between the imam and the one praying alone and between the one who is led in the prayers al ma'mum and thus they said that the ma'mum the one led in the prayers looks in the direction of his imam towards his imam in order to make sure that he follows him and that's why Abu Darda may Allah be pleased with him said that the Prophet when he used to make sujood none of us would none of us would bend his back until the Prophet falls to his sujood reaches his prostration then afterwards we will do the same after him so they deduced from this that they used to look at him at the Prophet their Imam also they deduced this from what occurred from the action of the Prophet during the eclipse prayer when he was performing the eclipse prayer paradise uh, he said paradise was presented to him and also hellfire was presented to him and he said when it was presented to him paradise was presented to him that's when you saw me moving forward that's when you saw me moving forward and when hellfire was presented to him that's when you saw me moving backwards so they concluded from this hadith that the ma'mum the one led in the prayers look at his imam and our shaykh said therefore 
the matter therefore is accommodating the person looks based he directs his look based on that which will be more solemn and gives him full submissiveness except when he is in sujood when he is in jalus rather in the sitting position there he directs his sight towards his finger while moving it in the tashahud in some cases some of the scholars made exceptions to this like if someone is praying the salatul khawf the salah of fear because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah An-Nisa in chapter 4 verse 102 وَخُذُوا حِذْرَكُمْ وَخُذُوا حِذْرَكُمْ in Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 102 but take every precaution for yourself But take every precaution for yourself. So this may require, it may happen that you will not be able to concentrate in looking at the place of your sujood. Also, they took from the incident when the Prophet ﷺ sent a someone to look and examine the situation of the enemies check them out like a spy when he sent him the Prophet ﷺ started looking around while looking directing his eyes away from the place of prostration in order to look after this person whom he delegated to check the enemies it is also said that at the times of fear the person requires to look left and right and it is known that actions other than the sight during the time of fear are forgiven so similarly the action of the sight it may look left and right and this exception is correct on the other hand on the other hand some of the scholars excluded also the praying place in the sacred mosque and they said the person must look at the Kaaba itself during the prayers because it is the Qibla the place upon which the sight should be directed concerning the person in the prayers however our Shaykh Rahimahullah said this saying is weak because looking at the Kaaba while in the prayers will distract, definitely distract the person praying because he will see in front of him people making tawaf moving in around the Kaaba and thus they may distract him 
And the correct opinion is that the Al-Masjid Al-Haram, the sacred mosque, like any other mosque, the place upon which the person should direct his sight, is the place of prostration or facing his face, in the direction of his face. As to the looking up at the sky, this is forbidden during the Salah. This is from the major sins, from the major sins, because the Prophet ﷺ forbade that. He used, ﷺ in the authentic hadith, he used to forbid looking up at the sky. And he, ﷺ, emphasized this prohibition so much that he said, people, لَيَنْتَهِيَنَّ يَعْنِ الَّذِينَ يَرْفَعُونَ أَبْصَارَهُمْ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ أو people must refrain from looking up at the sky in prayer or their sight will not return to them and in one narration or their sight will be plucked away and this is a threat and the threat cannot be accepted in addressing major sins Even some of the ulama are with the opinion that if the person looks up at the sky during the salah, then his salah is invalid. And they use as evidence the the following points. Number one, that he redirected his face away from the direction of qibla because the Kaaba is on earth and not up in the sky. Secondly, that he committed a muharram, he committed something haram or muharram, forbidden in salah particularly, and therefore acting or doing the forbidden, something forbidden in the worship itself, necessitates the invalidity or nullification of the ibadah. However, the majority of the scholars are with the opinion that his salah, the one who looks up at the sky, is not nullified, but according to the preponderating opinion, he is held blameworthy, meaning sinful without any doubt because the threat in the hadith is not associated with something which is disliked only so therefore the matter in this case according to the correct opinion is that his salah is not nullified but he is sinful then we come to another case where some people close their eyes during the salah the correct opinion that the correct opinion concerning the closing of the eyes during the salah that it is makruh, disliked because it resembles the actions of the majus, the magians 
when they set to worship the fire, they close their eyes. And it is said that this is from the actions of the Jews. And assuming the manners of the non-Muslims, the least ruling concerning that is At-Tahreem. It's forbidden. As Sheikh al-Islam rahimahullah said. And therefore, this forbidden is of the disliked forbidden, the least to say. Unless there may occur certain situations, like for example, there may be something around him which could distract him, he may temporarily close his eyes. Now, if someone says, I find that when I close my eyes, I reach, I reach the state of tranquility, which I would miss if I have my eyes, if I had my eyes open. The answer is no. This khushu', this tranquility and submissiveness that you feel while doing something dislike is from shaitan, is from shaitan. فهو, our Sheikh said, فَهُوَ كَخُشُوَعِ الصُّوفِيَّةِ فِي أَذْكَارِهِمْ أَلَّتِ يَتَعَبَّدُونَ بِهَا وَهِيَ بِدْعًا This is like the khushu' the submissiveness of the Sufis in their remembrances, which they take it as a means of worship. And it is bid'ah, innovated. And shaitan, in fact, may leave you, leave your heart, not whispering meaning, if you close your eyes. Why? In order to make you fall in that which is disliked. So we say, open your eyes and strive to bring the submissiveness and the solemnity. Closing your eyes to achieve that without any reason, this is from shaitan. Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah said, the sunnah from the hadith that he narrated, is to fix one's sight on the place of frustration on the ground, so the action of some worshippers of closing their eyes during the prayer is misdirected piety. Why? Because the best guidance is the guidance of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this brings the conclusion of part 3, and the topic was placement of hands and direction of looking. Insallah. Allah Ta'ala Allah wa 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 Allah wa